Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Roxy are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been. And that includes a train going straight to hell, a bus going straight to purgatory, a car going straight to hell, and a lime scooter going straight to hell. I'm Mikey McCaller. And I'm Roxy Polk. Roxy, let's start out, as we always do, with the scariest thing we saw this week. What went down in your life outside of the scary basement that spooked you to your bones? Uh, So I found out about a really terrifying space phenomenon this week that I didn't realize was possible. Hey, Um, space is scary. All right? Space is. It's fascinating and terrifying, and I um, I love it, and I'm also terrified of it, but then also know that we're probably going to die before we can even really explore it, so we're probably We're either okay. going to die before we explore it, or we're going to die in space, and I would say both of those are equally likely. Yeah, what and was like, the you know, space in, a couple, thing you said? in a couple billion years, Earth will be gone, and then everything humanity has ever made will <laughs> be vaporized. <laughs> anyway, uh, the thing is a triple galaxy collision. Do you even know that was what? possible? I've heard of like triple in, car collisions that my insurance keeps asking me about details about mine. Tell me about the galaxy commissions. Collisions. <laughs> commissions. Collisions. <laughs> you commission that galaxy to do a collision. So apparently we observed one back in 2007, but it's mm. like triple galaxy collision slash merger. It's when three galaxies slowly draw each other near and near and then literally tear each other apart with their competing gravitational forces. So I can't even imagine what happens to, like, every single planet and sun and possibly alien friends who are no longer going to be our (laughs) friends because they're burned up by the collision. They're all gone. And then they get reshaped into something else. And it is uh, terrifying. And the fact that we caught it, like, on a telescope to, like, actually see it happen. We were all too busy following the presidential race that year to even pay attention. Well, the thought, too, is that, like, our galaxy could be one of those someday that we'll just encounter two others and we'll get absorbed someday. You never know. Who knows? Mm. Life is fleeting, Mikey. Let's enjoy it while we're here, I guess. <laughs> what no, about you? Our universe is going to forever. Universe! Universe! <laughs> uh, the scary thing that I saw this week was isn't so much scary uh, as it is, like, thought-provoking. And oh. the idea that tropes still exist, I guess, is kind of scary. Um, I found a really great article from Inverse.com. It was written by Emma Flint. It's titled, Resident Evil Proves the Worst Trope in Horror Video Games Needs to Die. And mm. it it's this article uh, explaining how a lot of horror video games use like a brutal destruction of, a brutal and violent destruction of women's bodies as a horror trope that I had oh, never yeah. really considered as like, obviously like there are some aspects of like, you know, uh, 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 one of my favorite video games of the last couple of years is a game called Tormented Souls, but it opens with this really gross scene where the main character, who is a woman, is just like nude in a bathtub and has For like a no thing reason. down her throat. Yeah. And yeah, and it really is upsetting to me. Like, I was just really turned off and not in like a fun horror way, in a gross, disgust- disgusting way. Yeah, it's it more like, like a hey, bad let's trope. sexualize the character you're playing as. Also, I think it, she does have like exposed nips, doesn't she? Boy, well. it's just full on like the first time it's maybe the second scene this character is involved in and it's just like yeah. here's her boobs for no real reason and the article that i read that i i really loved 
kind of talked about it and, and sort of framed it up for me why that's different to me than other, like, you know, I love a lot of sex scenes in horror movies. I love a lot of gory kills in sex scenes. And what is the difference between the ones that make me uncomfortable? Yeah, and what are the it's ones the difference me- of this. Yeah, the serve the purpose it's trying to serve in showing it, yeah. you know, can be completely different. The line that got me was, the implication is that the entertainment value of the act is more important than what the act says about the character that did the act's deteriorating psyche. And so it was like, oh, if it's coming from this characterful place, that kind of makes sense. But to linger on it and to make it like... Ogling it for the viewer. Hey, check out these boobs sort of moment. That is like dehumanizing. So uh, yeah, it's a bummer that that is a trope that I hadn't necessarily put together that I was seeing a lot, but also like like, that's still going on. Yeah. It feels like one of those things you kind of like pick up on, but like don't quite know how to articulate until you've seen it like a couple of times. And this sounds like yeah. a really good article. Where did you say it was published on again? Uh, we'll it's have it in the on inverse.com. But... Yeah, inverse.com written by Emma Flint. Uh, Resident Evil proves the worst trope in horror video games needs to die. It's real great. We'll link okay, to it. Okay, cool. It'll be great. I'll, I'm going to read that after we record this too. Exciting. And you know, you know who is also going to read it? Uh, big on destroying <laughs> tropes in horror movies <laughs> is the Demon Bot. Here he is. Hey, Demon Bot. Mikey and Roxy, this week you were assigned the 2014 film Annabelle, directed by John R. Leonetti and starring Ward Horton, Annabelle Wallace, and Alfre Woodard. Did you watch the film or your soul's forfeit? Uh, yes, I did in fact watch that movie. I did as well. I, I watched Annabelle. Good, then you may keep your souls. For now. You know, I wonder if Demonbot feels a uh, kinship with Annabelle, because it is a demon inhabiting mm. a doll, which I guess is a spoiler alert before we do the summary, but what, yeah, what do you no, think, Demonbot? Do you know her, or do you feel some sort of kinship with her? Well, we did go on one date. Oh, really? How'd it go? Well, I guess if there's just one, then maybe not so well. But... I would prefer not to talk about it, Miss Nosy Pants. Good day. Okay, I guess we were kind of prying. I didn't realize it would be that sort yeah. of relationship. Yeah. Sounds like it's it's tough. Uh, it's speaking hard. of tough, Annabelle was a scary movie, Roxy. Uh, before we get too deep into it, do you want to give a little plot recap for anybody who might be listening at the scary basement door who has not seen the film? Yeah, let's do it. Let's give a plot recap. All right. The movie Annabelle opens on a horrible doll, one that just, why would they make it? Who could ever love it? It's way too big. It's looking like it played volleyball in junior college with a creepy smile and big eyes, and it's just the worst doll. We then hear from a bunch of nurses who now own this doll, and they wonder where their mother found it in the first place. Then we flash back to 1967. I guess we're going to see where her mom found it, so buckle (laughs) up. Uh, We meet a couple named John and Mia and their neighbors, the Higginses. Mia is pregnant, John is in med school, and the Higginses are still dealing with the loss of their daughter, who two years ago ran off to join a hippie cult. Only that cult got a little more demonic as time went on. One night, Annabelle, who is the daughter of the Higginses, Annabelle Higgins and her boyfriend break into the Higginses' home and murder her parents before sneaking into John and Mia's home. There, the boyfriend stabs Mia in the side before John can fight him off, while Annabelle finds that awful, horrible doll. The police show up to save John and Mia, but not before Annabelle can commit suicide while holding the doll, letting a drop of blood fall into its porcelain eye socket. Mia ends up okay, but is put on bed rest for the rest of her pregnancy. She makes her husband promise that if something goes wrong in the delivery, John will prioritize the baby's life over hers. 
John reluctantly agrees. Mia then tells the detective investigating the case that she doesn't want to hear any more about these gosh damn occultists. Screw knowing why you were attacked. <laughs> One weekend, when John is off at a fancy medical convention, someone, Annabelle, possibly, turns on the stove and starts a fire in the kitchen. Mia makes it out and gives birth to a baby named Leah. The family then moves to Pasadena, where we can all one day dream we will end up. Here we meet Evelyn, who uh, both lives in the same building as Mia and owns the nearby bookstore. Evelyn acts very grandmotherly towards baby Leah, buying her books and clothes. We soon learn that Evelyn's daughter passed away when she was Mia's age. And when Evelyn tried to kill herself after the tragedy, she heard her daughter's voice telling her that she had more left to do in the world. Now, even though John threw that rotten, disgusting-looking doll in the trash back at their old house, it shows up in the new home. Soon thereafter, Mia tries to do laundry in the basement when a goddamn demon pops out of the baby carriage and chases her back to the apartment. Mia has no choice but to get back in touch with the detective and find out, this time for real, what the occultists were up to. I guess she does care about what, why she was attacked. And maybe- yeah, uh, <laughs> fool me once. Yeah, shame on me. I see a demon in a baby carriage. <laughs> Not going to fool me twice. <laughs> Mia and Evelyn begin researching, learning that the doll isn't so much haunted by the ghost of Annabelle, but by a demon who wants to take a soul. Could that soul belong to baby Leah? Mia and John then contact their priest, Father Perez, who comes over and takes the doll, thinking it will weaken the demon to be held in a place as sacred as the church. But just as Father Perez reaches the church's threshold, Annabelle's ghost Force pushes the old man off the steps and takes the doll, I don't know, somewhere else? She just picks it up and goes. I like to think it's scampering off because it's possessed. <laughs> Very funny <laughs> mental image. <laughs> a little leg swing because she doesn't have bones. Uh, I anyway. think it's one of those like wily coyotes where her her legs are just like in a circle. There's like, zzzz, yeah, 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 yeah. boom, and then it's just a cloud of dust shaped like the Annabelle ghost. <laughs> Wafts over Father Perez's corpse. But he's actually not a corpse. Uh, at the hospital, Father Perez tells John that the demon in the doll doesn't want the baby's soul. It wants Mia's soul and will try and trick her into choosing to hand her soul over to it to save her baby. Back home, baby Leah vanishes and Mia fights back the only way she knows how by kind of screaming and demanding her baby back. Uh, when she asks what the beast wants, she finds the words, her soul, scribbled all over the ceiling. Gee, I wonder what it wants. <laughs> it's like finding the, the demon's Christmas list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he put it down there like three times. I, I definitely had a Christmas list uh, in 1996. It was like, what oh, do you yeah, want? And I just wrote N64 over and over. N64, N64, N64. It's like, this is what I want. When Mia mutters, there must be another way, she sees, written on the window, the words, your soul. Then the window opens. Mia takes that filthy, revolting-looking doll and climbs up into the window. John gets home just in time to stop her from jumping out the window and killing herself. But man, is Mia upset. John promised he would prioritize the baby's life over Mia's. And that goes for souls, too. Finally, Evelyn realizes her purpose, that by surviving her own suicide attempt... She now has a chance to act, this moment, when she can grab the gut-churning, vile-looking doll and save the family by falling backwards out of the window to her death. Me and John will always remember her sacrifice. Bum, bum, and then six months later, we just see some random woman buying the doll from a pawn shop. Yeah. <laughs> I thought Mia was going to be the mom who gave the doll to her kid, so it's like, why did we see those stupid nurse people at the beginning of the movie like they weren't they were involved like, in the movie until this last scene destroy it why didn't they set it on fire they knew what it did they knew what it was how did it end up there 
He'll never Unbelievable. know. No Anyways, actual that's explanation. The movie Annabelle. <laughs> yeah. That is the movie Annabelle. Uh, it's a, uh, uh, listen, it's a movie that I thought was almost too scary to be a movie. I was so afraid Seriously, of this entire Mikey? movie. Oh my God. Okay. I guess it just like hit you right. If we didn't have to watch it to save our souls, I probably would have turned it off. Like I probably wouldn't have watched this movie on my own. It was too scary for me. Really? Okay. I guess maybe just like the Blumhouse style of horror really gets you. It's- yeah, the the way these jump scares work. And and I think we talked about it on a previous episode that like the conjuring specifically is really good at building jump scares. And this is like the same kind of team, right? These are the conjuring. It's like in the same universe. It's not really the same directorial or writing team or anything. It's just kind of under that umbrella so they can okay. sell more tickets. Um it's uh, the conjureverse. Because the way these jump scares work in this movie, it's super effective and it gets me every time. And like we talk all over the place, yeah. I am susceptible to jump scares. Yes. And this movie is full of them in ways that like is really upsetting to me. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I had kind of the opposite reaction because all of these Blumhouse movies feel exactly the same and like they feel like they're formulaic in the fact that they have to have a certain amount of jump scares every some odd minutes. So every time we see a character sitting on a couch or something and they've panned over a little to the side, they're off center. I'm like, yeah, okay, they're going to do a jump scare there. And then they do. So Mm. I think like after you see them enough, it probably won't affect you. But I would much rather be where you're at, Mikey. And like they actually affect you and you can actually take enjoyment from them. Dude, it was too much. Because I had the opposite effect and the movie felt too long and I was bored by it by the end of it. And then I was like, of course they kill off the only black character in the movie, have her sacrifice herself for white people. Why would you make this (laughs) choice? Could have at least just made her white so it didn't stick out as weird and tropey. We just talked about tropes before. The thing that this movie was kind of hitting for me really early on was this like the magic black woman trope oh yeah for 110 percent, they have this she, evelyn kind of functions as this like visionary like she yeah uh she's like i've had my experiences with the other side and she kind of yeah, like she, takes like, her in and and has a bookshop that has the demon book in it and stuff <laughs> and she definitely um motherly, she like functions as the movie's goddess she's the one who reveals ultimately to mia the path forward which is to research really and (laughs) figure out what uh what is going on because i think there is something really interesting going on in this movie that they talk about a lot but never gets like cleanly resolved but the idea of like burying truths the priest in the Mm. middle of the movie gives like a sermon about like we have to take all of our most frightening moments and pull them up and pull them up into the light and examine them and look about look at them there is several sermon scenes also, which act in movies very much like classroom scenes where they're like, we're going to yep. tell you the <laughs> the goal of the movie. This is the, the theme of the movie. This is the theme. This movie, you're right. This movie has a couple of them. Yeah, there's like three maybe, I think, that I can remember specifically. It's very like force fed. And, and that's why like, I don't know. I really love this movie. I feel like there was a lot to chew on and I don't know. It could be getting into the territory of like, I am this this sparked an idea in my brain that the movie mm. wasn't trying to communicate, but that I am really intrigued by. Okay. I mean that has merit, even if the movie eh. isn't outright saying it. I'd say it has merit Does to you it? personally, but we can't attribute it to the movie's credit. So. No, no, no. I feel like a movie is either successful if they have a mission statement and then they get a check mark at the end because enough audience members were able to write out the one sentence theme <laughs> and <laughs> turn it in to their senators who approved it. <laughs> You know, they're the lawfully designated horror <laughs> quiz recipients, graders. 
<laughs> no, you're right. That's like the, the joy of art is that it's just like a bunch of ideas and they inspire yeah. ideas in you. And I think it's completely valid to be able to take something away that even if the movie didn't succeed at it, it led to an epiphany or idea within you. And like, yeah, you credit yourself with that, not the movie. It might have been yeah. a catalyst, but it is not the uh, credit of the movie. No, I'm brilliant. <laughs> here's here's my grand working theory of Annabelle. Okay. And what I thought the movie was really clearly heading towards, and then at the end they just don't do anything with it. So this movie, the first upsetting thing that happens is that a neighbor couple is murdered by their child. Yeah, so I will say this is actually the part that freaked me out, because real real people violence like this freaks me out much more than like a demon, which I think we're... Yeah. You, you probably get freaked out by all of it, but specifically I get more freaked out... <laughs> By that. You're right. I am a coward, Roxy. No, Thank I you. don't want to say like you weren't scared by this because you're just about to talk about how scary it was. So, I in in your ranking of what you were most scared by, I'm sure it's somewhere around there. It's really it's it's jump scares and then it's uh, giants and then uh, everything else is pretty much the same. There you go. Real real life and demons. But yeah, like kind of the way they paced it because you only sort of see it briefly and like out of the corner of your eye like the main character does mm -hmm. because they're right next to it. And like you have no idea what is going on or why and it happens so suddenly. And especially they're like in picturesque suburbia in the 60s that looks like mm -hmm. it's out of a magazine. You know, it feels like the place where nothing bad should be able to happen to you because it almost feels like idyllic in an unreal way. And you just met these old people who are like, well, they're not like super old, but they're like older than our main character couple. Mm -hmm. They're like very kind. And they're kind. just like kindly. Yeah, yeah, they're kindly. They're basically like, they're, they feel like they're other family members or something, kind of like they're that close. They go to church together. They drive to and from together. They hang out. They're mm -hmm. very concerned about, oh yeah, make sure you take care of her. Like, you know, baby on the way, all that. So like, you wouldn't expect the nicest people in the world who are suffering from loss also that you found that you assume mm -hmm. the daughter is like dead until they kind of elaborate that, oh no, she like ran off. So, like, it, it does take you by surprise when suddenly they're murdered in their yeah. room across the way. And, like, you and don't see the action happening. It's more of an voyeuristic way from our main couple's window, yeah. which I think is what makes it much scarier because you're not seeing the action up close and personal. And it's almost, like, callous and mysterious in this very mm -hmm. brutal way. So, I'd say, like, even, that that part really worked for me. Yeah, no, uh, me too. It was, it was so upsetting. And the, the idea that we are like lingering in our main character's house and seeing it happen, like it not only puts us in our, in that perspective, but it, it frames that violence as like how it's happening to these characters that we are already invested in. And it makes it very scary. Yeah, because you don't know what's going to happen. And then eventually they do break in and come next door too. Although it's really ridiculous when she's like, I heard screaming next door. We should call the police. And then the husband is like, Nah, I'll just go check it out in my bare feet and like my pajamas. That sounds like a good idea. That's that's very funny <laughs> you say that because I was totally on the dude's side and then I was like, yeah, just go check out the scream first. And then because because my brain would be like, oh, yeah, she probably slipped and grabbed the curtains as she fell kind of thing. Like she's probably just like freaked out over nothing. So I was like, yeah, totally. You wouldn't call the police yet. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would have definitely done that if I heard screaming from my neighbor's you house. You call the police a lot. Yeah, that's that's something I got to curb my uh, <laughs> impulse to do. So maybe that's a me problem. <laughs> so one thing that happens even before all this, is part of the, the evidence I'm going to use to build this case that this movie could be about this idea I had. Okay. The two couples go to church together. And then the older woman asks Mia, who is pregnant at the time, she has baby names, and they kind of talk about it for a second. And then as they go their separate ways, Mia says to John, she's just like, maybe we shouldn't talk about 
babies in front of them. And they're like, why? And then that's how we kind of get this backstory. Like, their daughter just ran away. But yeah. Mia's reaction, Mia's instinct is to not talk about something that happened. It's to avoid the truth, avoid some facts, avoid reality, which we will also see when she talks to the detective. The detective's like, we, we know a little bit more. And she's like, honestly, if it doesn't affect us, I don't want to know. I want to, again, yeah. not talk about the facts. crazy to me. <laughs> Wouldn't you want to know why you were almost killed, lady? Okay. But yeah, I, I think it, it's in service to this thing you're talking See, about. See, again, again, I was right on Mia's side. I was like, oh yeah, if it's if it's not going to affect me, I wouldn't want to know either. I'd be like, yeah, who cares? <laughs> Y'all do you. <laughs> not, you got stabbed then, and almost died <laughs> because of it. Then we also have the the pastor who gives that sermon, like, our job is to take these frightening truths and bring them into the light. Like, the movie is working towards, there are uncomfortable things that happen, and we don't do well by avoiding them, we do well by focusing on them. The way Mia starts getting on the trail of this demon is by finally going to the detective and talking to him. And so here's what I thought this movie was about. <laughs> Roxy, I thought this movie was about the evolutionary fact that our children equal our own demise. What? Oh, okay. By giving birth to children, we are in a way, we fundamentally acknowledging that our time here is infinite, that we are going to die. Or finally. We are going to end. And in a mythological sense, in a, in a, in a not literal sense, but in a, in, a, in a what does this act of creating a human life mean for me as a person, our children eat us. Right? We give birth to our children and they are there to take our place in the world. They are, that's why so many like stories of Greek myths are about like killing your father because you are uh, in essence, in terms of the place in the world, in terms of the hierarchical structure of generations, you are eliminating your parents. You are taking their life. And we see that made literal in the opening horrific moment of this movie, when a daughter comes in and murders her mother and father. We see it happen. And it's this very, like, visceral fear. Like, and then immediately, like, two or three scenes later, our main character gives birth to a baby. And they never acknowledge throughout the entire movie the fact that at some point the Higginsons gave birth to a baby sweet as this baby. They, at one point, had a little daughter that they loved just as much as me and John love their daughter. And this baby grew up to murder her. <laughs> This is a horrifying idea. And then, and then, Roxy, when Mia goes down into the basement, she finds a bassinet and a demon rises from it. It is literally a demon in a baby basket. I felt like this movie was about Mia not being able to accept the idea that her daughter could very well murder her. Again, both in a literal sense, because we saw it in the movie, and that's like a pretty common A to B thing. Like, oh, it's very scary that uh, a woman just came and murdered her mom. I have a daughter, and I have uncomfortable feelings about this. I just went through a specific trauma related to this. But also, the fact that I've given birth to a little girl who is going to take my place and is going to be there for me at my death. In some way, I am forced by having this child to stare my mortality in the face. And these these are uncomfortable feelings. We've talked about this through so many other movies where women are not expected to have any sort of critical response to being a parent. That's why I love, love, love The Babadook because it's about a woman who doesn't really like being a mother anymore. And that's a realistic 
feeling to have and to process and to get through and to continue being a mother, not to say she should not be a mother, but to have these feelings and deal with them. As the priest tells us to bring them out into the light. We have all of this evidence that Mia is having these uncomfortable feelings and is completely ignoring them and then can get to a point where she gets comfortable with the idea of letting her daughter metaphorically in place of society and maybe even literally because she's willing to jump out a window for her to die for her child the same way this Higgins lady did at the beginning. I'm sorry to go on a long impassioned rant about it, but it just seemed like such a cool idea that I've never seen really talked about in a movie and it seemed like they were going for it and then kind of it just doesn't happen. Nothing comes of it. <laughs> yeah, that's why I just let you keep going because I was like, it's really cool you got this from this movie, but <laughs> I don't think the movie was trying to say that at at all. And yeah, don't they either. don't. The characters are so flat and wooden to me that I feel like your brain was like, no, people wrote this and spent time on it. This There has to be more going on. And so your brain did the <laughs> gymnastics to do that. I will say it's very un unusual to me if, again, we didn't have all this evidence of Mia ignoring specific facts. It's very unusual I think unusual it's just her being written if, as an idiot. Like, none of the characters in this movie feel smart. None of them feel very developed. They all feel kind of like no, no, tropey, cardboard, cookie-cutter things you've seen I, a million times. I, I mean me. the um the very specific, like, she is uh, acknowledging, like, there are truths in the world we should ignore. They're they're giving sermons. Like, I mean, her, like, the character lines. For her mm -hmm. to do all that and to never acknowledge the fact that, like, it's really fucked up for a daughter to break into a house and stab a mother. Like, they never talk about that if the movie's not going to be about that. So, like, I feel like if they were going, <laughs> like, it's sort of glossed over in a way that, again, sent me down this giant rabbit hole that, again, I think you're right. The movie does not mean for me to go down. Yeah. Then it's like an error. It's like an unforced error to not acknowledge that, like, that's what's kind of really specifically horrifying about it. That they're little girls. I feel like the biggest, the, the most straightforward thing I took away from it is just corruption of innocence. You have the corruption of this doll that is supposed to be a symbol of, mm. like, a child who initially, when you see it, it's not not creepy, but, like, before it gets all fucked up looking in the garbage and the fire. <laughs> It looks more kind of like a traditional kind of like porcelain doll, albeit a little bit larger than you would think. But you see it's part of like a series of maybe three or four dolls. Not giving it to you, Roxy. That's a horrible doll, even at the beginning. No, no. I'm trying to say it is creepy, but it seemed more like that's something I would expect to come out of the time period instead of like a studio made the creepiest doll possible. Which doesn't say it's not creepy. It just felt less manufactured to be like, yeah, sure. And then obviously once it goes in the trash, it looks like absolute nightmare fuel. And it's like, why would you <laughs> keep this around just because you were written to keep it around, you idiots? Uh, because we need to have a movie about a scary doll. But like, <laughs> it starts off as just a, a doll that was a innocent present from the husband to the wife. She collects dolls. It's part of the set she was looking for. It's like an expensive thing. He says like, well, mm. we're going to have to, like, kind of tighten our belts for a couple months, but it's fine. Yeah. I knew you wanted it. A doctor couldn't afford this Apparently. A doctor in the doll. 60s. Yeah. Um, and so it isn't until that daughter who has been corrupted by the cult and decides to choose her kill killing her family and giving into this demonic cult, that's when it turns evil. Like, when that act mm -hmm. happens. So the doll's innocence has been corrupted. And so this demon is in the house and it's trying to corrupt Mia, who is, like, very purely wanting to sacrifice herself for her child. And the child is like, uh, obviously the ultimate expression of innocence. It hasn't mm -hmm. had a chance to do anything to be like worthy of sin or whatever. <laughs> and so it's kind of like showing how it's using that 
like the corruption of innocence to twist a knife to make me do what it wants to get the thing it wants. I, I, I think you're right. I think you're right in saying that like this movie is thinking about it in like a very like hero villain sort of way. It's yeah, like, it, it feels a lot more as opposed to like uh, surface level what my brain does and like what movies like Hellraiser do, right? Like Hellraiser is my favorite horror movie because it's it's very clearly about like a specific familial structure and the horror mm-hmm. is birthed out of like how this family has interacted with each other. And I do think, like, I think that's certainly, like, better horror. Like, the fact that it I feels love like this movie with my say. whole heart and you don't like it, like, yeah, that tracks. <laughs> yeah, I think it just feels, like, very cookie-cutter and, like, something I've seen before. Like I said, kind of the, the scene where the neighbors get killed, I think that's the most interesting, different thing it does. Yeah. In a way. And then, like, again, like you were saying, th- that act kind of captured your imagination, too, where it kind of started you on that rabbit hole to think about all these other things. Mm-hmm. Probably just set it to its credit. Like, that's one of the more interesting scenes that way, I guess. And it's something that makes it kind of stand out. And, like, maybe it's trying to say something about that. And then, yeah, it kind of falls short by never really saying anything about that. It's it's bizarre. I went into this movie thinking it was going to be, like, the doll is alive and, like, like, child's play. But with, like, a less silly and personable soul in the doll and more like a an evil demon in a doll and i feel like this movie doesn't get much out of the doll stuff yeah it, it's completely wasted which i thought it was funny because you texted me a question about like when you were going to when we were going to open yeah. the tomb who were we gonna meet and you were like what does this annabelle doll sound like like how many times does this demon say something something and i had to break it to you to be like it literally says nothing it doesn't talk you don't see the it doesn't talk why doesn't the doll talk and, like, they, they only do a couple of interesting things with it being a doll where, like, it it's sitting in one room and then it, like, stands up and runs at her and then becomes, like, a full human. Like, the girl who possessed yeah. it, essentially, which I thought that was kind of interest, an interesting well, scare idea. Doll. That was like a, That was, like, a little girl who runs. Yeah, exactly. And then when exactly. she hits the door, she turns into an adult. And that was, like, so a it's cool like, jump scare. Yeah, but it's not even related to the doll. So, like, this one thing I can be like, that's kind of an interesting idea. It's not even related to the doll. I guess so when the demon picks it up and it's floating. left on that doll bone. <laughs> yeah, I think also it it feels like it it copies this scene that Insidious did much better where it's holding up the doll and then you see the half of the demon's face behind the doll. Mm-hmm. And it's oh. like more pulled out and not as interesting looking and it isn't as much of a surprise. And it's like, guys, you already did this in the Insidious movie. I get that that was like an impactful scare, but come on, man. And it's just like holding it there. <laughs> It was such an upsetting scene because it looked like the doll was finally getting up. And yes, I literally yeah. out loud, when I'm watching this, I was like, fuck yeah, here we yeah, go. Yeah, the doll's finally, about to go fuck finally. shit up. <laughs> and no, it was just a demon holding. Like, a demon almost feels like a non sequitur in this movie. Yes, like, it does. If the doll's going to be possessed by a demon, that's great. But, like, I don't really want to see a nightmare ghoul monster in a movie about scary dolls. The doll should be yeah. scary. Like, if the doll was doing that and chasing her, that'd be kind of yes. scary. And I think I'd like that more because that's more entertaining. It's a much more interesting interpretation instead of... <laughs> because then you're taking the focus away from the boring-ass human characters and you get to have the doll do something. They seem way more boring because we waste so much time on them just, like, sitting around, plinking around, doing whatever, where we could have been seeing the doll get up to hijinks or something. Like, just I, it makes me want to rewatch Chucky, all the Chucky movies instead of it fucking Annabelle. Just just watch Chucky uh, again. Palette in response, cleanser. in response to um, how boring the human characters are, I agree. Ninety eight percent of the time, they have okay. one line that I think was very funny and couldn't believe they said in this movie. Oh, and it's right before uh, the the husband John gives Mia the doll, gives her the Annabelle doll. He goes, "Hey, 
there's something I want to give you. And he walks out of the room and she says, last time you said that, I ended up pregnant. <laughs> so. <laughs> he said that. Was, why? She talk- <laughs> was she talking about his cum? <laughs> also, while Did they're having say- sex, he said that like in the throes of passion. Hey. He's like, hey, I want to give you something. Hey, there's something I want to give you. And then he ejaculates. <laughs> and then- <laughs> That's a crazy line. What are you talking about? That's a sexy line, Mikey. That doesn't get you off. That gets Mia, the character, off. She loves that. Well, at least it gets him off enough for them to now have a baby. I guess I shouldn't speak for her. Hey, there's something I want to give you. Why would you say that? Also, that makes it seem like, okay, yeah, the baby wasn't planned. That's why the husband is a little, like, whatever about stuff when she's talking about the baby at one point. Which is weird. Like they, they barely even touch on that. It's like kind of for a second, and she's like mad about it. And then he's like, "No, sorry, yeah. I just like misspoke." Which I think it's normal to have anxieties about that. But like, as long as overall, like you can voice your anxieties to your partner, like being scared or you know worrying about something, that doesn't mean that like, oh, I'm worried about the baby coming. Doesn't mean I don't also want the baby to be here. Like that's not Dude, what, what he's saying. Like what? What a cool arc it would be for Mia to realize, oh, you have an uncomfortable feeling. Instead of ignoring it, you should talk about it. I have an uncomfortable feeling about maybe my baby's going to murder me and I should talk about it. What a cool arc that would be. It was more evidence that they were doing. I feel like the first half she doesn't, of this yeah, fucking she, rules. She feels like she doesn't emote. She's just like the idealized mother who would sacrifice yeah. everything for her child. That's just her character. She has nothing else going on. And I wish Mikey so much that she did have something more complex going on in her it, head. It would be but very the cool if they reveal the for that. If they like reveal that that was like all a front. That was her like not being willing to like examine and her own feelings yeah. that she says like it. if she if she was so far down that like stereotypical like I need to be the ideal housewife mother who would do anything for my child gonna sacrifice my life entirely I have no interests or motivations beyond this mm-hmm. child if, if she yeah was playing into that because she thought she had to and then realized no I actually right. have more complex feelings about this let's say something about I'm also them. worried about my career I'm worried about yeah. my doll collection I'm worried my baby is gonna ruin my dolls would be very yeah. funny I'm worried my husband isn't going to be completely supportive of this because he's showing some anxiety. Like he's going to be, once he becomes not a med student and a doctor, is he still going to be around? Is he still going to be supportive? Like nothing like that gets touched on and they waste so much time that they could have spent doing something like that. So I like this version of the movie that you write, Mike. (laughs) Yeah. I wish you had written it. This is, this is. Maybe off tangent, but um, they're they're currently airing the Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi story. Yes. And for years and years, I've said my dream writing project would be to write a reboot of the Star Wars prequels. Oh, really? This is the first time I'm hearing this. How is that? Okay, well, anyway, sorry. I want to hear this. Go for it. I think that the the three-movie story of Obi-Wan Kenobi trying to train a young Jedi and failing and having to come face-to-face with it is awesome. But, like, you turn him into Darth Vader at the end of the second movie, the third movie is about him, like, Again, that looking at his failure, he has seen what's happened. Oh, your idea would be that he became Darth Vader in the second movie? That's what I would do, yeah. And so this Obi-Wan Kenobi show opens, the first episode I think is incredible, but also like really dispiriting to me because I was like, this is exactly what my episode three would have been. This is what I think episode three should have been. Obi-Wan Kenobi is a defeated man, (laughs) and what Mm. could he possibly do? All that is to say... Now that I just had my dream reboot taken away from me because they're kind of doing it in the Obi-Wan show, now my new dream reboot is Annabelle. <laughs> it's going to be about do. the evolutionary process 
of children eating their parents and why Greek mythology is all about that. And in the and the doll's going to be alive also is the other thing. Yes, please do. <laughs> please give her anything to say. Like, if you watch the other two sequels, like, I've only seen the second one as well. Like, that's actually the first Annabelle movie I saw was the second one. I don't know why. Maybe because it was, like, for free on Netflix one time and then it went away. Mm. It, it was terrible. And then there was a third one that I don't even know if I heard about whether people liked it or not because I was not paying attention to it. But there is three of these somehow. I, I honestly forgot there was three until we were doing this. Um, So, <laughs> hey, they've done their Annabelle trilogy. They're in time for a reboot, Mikey, and you should be able to write it. I am ready. I'm here do for it. it. Do it. Um, oh, Roxy, I should also say this director directed Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> More like fuck no. It's so bad. Dude, that was like my number one favorite movie to rent when I was a little kid. Was it? Wait, which, I, hang honestly, on. I don't know if I ever finished it. I thought that movie ruled. Okay. <laughs> I, well. rent, I rented it a bunch and like watched it in chunks. I don't know if I ever like sat through the entire movie. But I just have so many moments of it that I just remember so well. For mm-hmm. instance, Jax ripping off his own metal arms because he had the strength within him all along. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> Why did he have to rip off his metal arms? I don't yeah. remember. Yeah, the lightning god was just like, oh, this is a distraction. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Maybe we should uh, make an exception to watch Mortal Kombat Annihilation yeah. one of these days. Honestly, I'm not opposed to it. Oh, my God. Uh, well, do, 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 Mikey, do. I have a question for you. All right. Give it to me. Okay. So my question, it's its a very important question. I want you to think very thoroughly about it. Okay. Yeah. What would you do, Mikey, if you found an Annabelle out in the wild somewhere in a gift shop, per se, like the uh, lady at the end of the movie who was just <laughs> ham-fistedly jammed in there? Well, okay. I'm assuming that, like, I... I'm cursed by it, right? Like, it's going to follow me around. It's going to be... Maybe. I mean, you're making the choice of what you want to do with it, I guess, right? Okay. Well, I would not buy it, Okay. <laughs> first of all. <laughs> but assuming <laughs> that, like, I don't it. really have a choice, I think okay. that's, that's gotcha. the question, right? Like... Sure. Yeah, yeah. If we're in an Annabelle situation. Yeah. It's been given to you, I guess. Breaker, breaker, 10-4. We got an Annabelle 45 over here. <laughs> okay. Here's my here's my plan to deal with an Annabelle. And maybe I'd do okay. this even if I just saw it at the gift shop. Okay. I'll buy it. The, the sky's the limit, Mikey. What, the, the question can be whatever you want it to be. Here's the thing. I'm going to chop this Annabelle up with an axe. Ah, okay. And then, right. and then, and then, I'm not even done. I'm going to put it in a blender. Okay. I'm going to grind that Annabelle into nothing. Turn it into and dust. And then I'm going to go to Quebec, Canada. Okay. And I'm going to pour Annabelle in a field. Okay. And I'm going to, like, like loosely, like, like not a heavy pour, right? Like, it'll be like spritzes of Annabelle all over the field. And it's just like, okay, got it. You're a demon. You're cursed. You're not even uh, corporeal. There's no way. I, I understand that it's like magic and it's outside of the realm of man that this curse works. But you're chopped up in a blender. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're it couldn't, it couldn't even fix itself after it got damaged from the fire. So I'd say that's a legit move. It can't it's repair literally itself. literally sludge in a field. It Try can only move itself. It can't repair itself. So yeah, that's. I'd say that works. Do it. <laughs> what would you do if you uh, saw an Annabelle, Roxy? So if I got an Annabelle, Mikey, what I would do is I would put it in a box. I would wrap it up real tight. Use some uh, some packing tape and stuff. Um, mm. And then I'd put a, that's powerful. a label on it with no return address. And then I would send it to you. 
it would arrive at your house, right? At Mikey's house, it would have a cryptic note that said something like, I have come for you, Mikey, what? when you open it. That's fucked up. Why would you do that? Because it's not possessed. It's just a fucking doll. You'd be fine. But I know it would scare the shit out of you and it would be really funny. You'd be like, Roxy, oh my God. Oh my God. I, I got an Annabelle on my doorstep. How? <laughs> um, You're right. That would That would absolutely scare me. And then you get to grind her up in the blender and do your blender tactic. So it's all good. I know you'd take care of it, which is fine. Okay. I Listen, it, it happened to work out. If you didn't know I had like a really good strategy to deal with the Annabelle, yeah. what you just said was really fucked up. But the fact that you did <laughs> made it <laughs> that you know, I, you know, God does not test us with more than we can handle. Uh, yeah. In this story, you are God. Also, as far as I know, your life hasn't been produced by Studio Blumhouse. So probably not a real demon in that doll. What? But, uh. Sorry to break it to you. It's not a Truman-style show produced by Blumhouse. You're hearing it what, here for the first time. are you saying it's uh, dull? It's not worthy of film? <laughs> no, it's uh, produced by a different company. It's probably whoever makes uh, sitcoms, right? We know this about oh, you. Oh, yeah. Uh, NBC. NB- NBC, there you go. <laughs> Roxy, on a scale from one to nine, one being the least likely, nine being the most likely, it does not include 10 because the number 10 does not exist in the scary basement. How likely do you think the events of the film Annabelle are to happen in real life? Uh, so I guess a two out of nine, mm. purely on the fact that like the random killings, like the cult killings uh, from the opening kind of scenes. Yeah, stuff like that has literally happened. The Manson family is a thing. That happened once. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everything else, I'd, I'd say nah, so only two out of nine. It's our old uh, hat on a hat thing, right? Yeah. It's like one crazy thing can happen, two crazy things to happen on top of each other. It feels a little iffy. Yeah. Um, I said a one. Oh, okay. For that reason, and also here's the other reason, mm-hmm. uh, I just don't believe anybody would ever be able to have an emotional attachment to dolls. Not just even that doll. <laughs> I just don't buy somebody liking dolls that much. I have dolls some YouTube up, videos to show you then, Mikey. <laughs> there's ones about, Should I change it to a two? Th- there's ones about people like, you know, having collections or being like obsessed with things. I mean, there's like r- stories about a dude marrying his anime body pillow and that's not even a doll. So, uh, oh, here, here's the thing though. Here's what, um, when in the movie, when John gives Mia the Annabelle doll, uh-huh. um, he said, he, like, like you mentioned, he says something like, uh, we're going to have to tighten our belt for the next month. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking it's like the only thing I buy that makes me go like, oh, I got to tighten my belt is when I like finally bit the bullet and bought a PlayStation 5. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, are these dolls the 1960s version of video games? Does this woman have an insane doll collection in the same way I have an insane video game collection? And in 60 years, people are going to look at my insane video game collection and be like, I just don't believe people would ever be that emotionally attached to video games. <laughs> Maybe. There's like this weird TV show that focuses entirely on things like this. There's a dude who is obsessed with mannequins to the point that he bought a second house literally to put mannequins in there. Ooh. Um, and there's another one that. about a couple. It's a husband and a wife. They've got a huge collection of sex dolls and they have a bunch of like shipping containers where they store them all and some of them are like oh. in coffin shaped boxes. <laughs> I get that. Yeah, I've got a bunch of sex dolls. The too. wife is okay with it though, which is, uh, yeah, I don't know how. <laughs> um, so there's all kinds of stuff like that about people being unnaturally attached to things or just, I don't know, when you think about when you're a kid, you have that one favorite toy that you love. You know what, Roxy, you've convinced me. I'm moving my score up to a two out of ten. Okay, sorry. sorry. I don't know why I went so long on this. It's not important. It's just some fun facts. You're right. I got to know. Roxy, last week we made a bet. We asked how many times would the word doll 
be said in the movie Annabelle. I said mm-hmm. 11 times. Yeah, and I said 10. So your price is right at me this, this week. I did, and it was a huge mistake because Roxy, oh? a- according to the PDF of the script, it is said seven times. Oh, okay. Seven times. So I win. You win. The total bet score as it stands, Roxy with 22 points, Mikey Uh-oh. with 19 points, Ty oh. with two. We are getting close because as we all know, something happens at 30. Oh man, I'm getting close. Mikey, you got to win a couple more times. I don't know what we're going to do. I'm going to try. Okay. Roxy, we're going to once again open the interview tomb and speak to a noted expert in the field of who knows. The point is it'll be something Annabelle related. Remember, when the interview tomb is opened, someone relevant to the movie we just watched will be inexplicably and supernaturally drawn to the scary basement to talk with us. All right, let's see who's inside. Okay, we got a professionally dressed man in here. Uh, who are you? Uh, hi, my name's Dr. Royland Houghton. I'm an expert in living toys and dolls. That's perfect. We just watched Annabelle. Ah, a surprisingly well-regarded movie in the field of living toy and doll experts. You know, it got a lot of details right vis-a-vis dolls who are also alive. Tell us, Doctor, what is it that makes these dolls and toys come to life in the first place? Uh, A couple different reasons, really. I mean, best case scenario is deceased family member wants to watch over a child, you know? Evil demons do enter toys, of course, but uh, those are rare. But, you know, the number one cause of dolls coming to life is little boys playing pro wrestling on them. Really? Dolls come to life because kids play with them. Uh, Not just play, no. Play pro wrestling. See, these little boys act out their favorite moves or slams or maneuvers, what have you, on their toys and dolls. But there's only so much those poor toys and dolls can take. So they come to life and oftentimes murder and or possess an entire family. Well, I mean... Kids will be kids, right? It can't be that big a deal if a kid decides to play pro wrestling with his stuffed animals, right? Michael, let me be clear. Absolutely no child should ever play pro wrestling with their toys. That means no power bombs on the couch, no practicing the figure four leg lock with a particularly leggy doll, even pretending to be Hulk Hogan and dropping a leg on a toy on the bed should be avoided at all costs. Hang on a second, Doctor. Are you saying the toys are alive and feel the wrestling moves? Like some kind of Toy Story deal. (laughs) Don't be ridiculous. These toys were not alive. Then they are. And they're brought to life by the shame of having pro wrestling moves done to them with no chance to do pro wrestling moves back. Very lopsided between little boys and their toys in terms of who gets in the most often. To be honest with you, Doc, I definitely had a teddy bear when I was a kid. His name was Mr. Bear, and man, I suplexed the shit out of him. You did what? I'd, you know, I'd take Mr. Bear, I'd throw him around, give him the DDT. Sometimes I'd even throw him in the air and give him a super kick like Shawn Michaels. Wait, 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 wait. You gave your bear a super kick like the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels? Jesus Christ, did it come to life? Well, not that I know of. I mean... A lot of my friends disappeared that summer. I haven't seen my stepdad since. So how did you make it out alive? As I'm thinking about it, there was a time I let Mr. Bear give me a hurricanrana. You know, I set him up for the powerbomb, and then when he had his little bear legs on my shoulders, I just did a forward roll. To be clear, it looked cool. Oh my god. 
That does sound cool. Wait a minute. These toys can be satiated if they're allowed to simply, pardon my language, get their shit in? Oh my god, this, this changes everything about my research. There are countless lives I can save if children simply learn to sell an RKO from their dolls. Guys, I'm sorry, I have to go. All right, well, the doctor has left the building. I think you gave him a lot to think about, Mikey. You've somehow solved all doll possession forever. So any movie that has a possessed doll in it, just they didn't read this dude's thesis. Yeah, no, you're right. I'm brilliant. Yeah, apparently when it comes to uh, suplexing a teddy bear, yes, I, I can safely say. One thing I could never suplex because he's too big and made of metal is the demon bot. He's coming over. I see him. Mikey and Roxy, are you prepared for Halloween 2? Roxy, we forgot to talk about this. Next week is Halloween 2. It's Halloween 2. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Whatever you are going to do for Halloween 1 in October, you're going to do it on July 15th for Halloween 2. Dress up in costumes. Get candy. Watch scary movies. Invite your friends over. Spook them. Yeah. Halloween 2, baby. It's a fun idea to have, or a fun day to have an extra party that you didn't think you would be able to have. So hell yeah. Party it up with your friends. Do something fun. And uh, listen to our podcast next week. While we also celebrate Halloween 2 together. And because it is Halloween 2, you shall be assigned a fun party movie in order to enjoy the holiday. Roxy, this is exciting. Next week, a fun Halloween party with all the monsters in the scary basement, including Chucky and Jason and Hellraisers. Heck yeah. So, Demonbot, which movie are we going to watch? Your film shall be Hocus Pocus from 1993, starring Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy Jimmy, and Thora Birch. Yes, I love Hocus Pocus. This is wonderful. I can't wait. Uh, cool. I, I have never seen Hocus Pocus. I don't understand how you've never seen it, Mikey. It's like the quintessential horror, uh, kids horror movie. <laughs> Horror-themed movie, I should say, I guess. It is so fun. I didn't even have Disney I'm... Channel growing up as a kid, and I still watch this. It was a Disney Channel jam, wasn't it? I think so, or at least they aired it on Disney. I think it was a Disney movie. Um, I don't think it was like Disney Channel original. I think it was probably in theaters and stuff. But I am so Mm. overjoyed for you to see this for the first time. I can't wait to hear what you think about it. Let's make a bet for next week, huh? Let's do it. Yeah, so how about we make a bet for when the first spell is cast in the movie, since uh, Mm. there's some literal hocus pocus going on, as you might be able to (laughs) guess. So yeah. The the timestamp of the first bit of Hocus Pocus. Yeah. I will say 11 minutes in. Okay, I'm going to say two minutes. Ooh, early. Yeah. Again, I, I could very well see, like, having not seen this movie and knowing nothing about it, I could see, like, the title of the movie coming across screen after, like, one of the witches waves her wand and it spells out in magic Hocus yeah. Pocus. Yeah, like, I think I got so psyched, to me. psyched out after we, because I actually just listened, re-listened to our Candyman episode uh, right before mm. we recorded today. And I was like, yeah, the bees were in, like, the first 30 seconds of the movie. We were so wrong. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to go early. So two it minutes. It really is a, a sign we'll of a see. good movie that they're like getting into the fun thing fast. Like if this yeah. movie is going to be about magic, just show us some magic. What are we yeah, waiting just, for? Just show us some magic. The heck? The pact has been sealed. I mean, the bet has been confirmed. Whoever is closest to the time of the first spell cast in the film shall be declared the winner. The winner will be the judge for the costume contest at the Halloween 2 party. I hear the Sawyer family came all the way from Texas to enter. Roxy, we've been talking about a lot of scary things, including Annabelle dolls, demons, 
going to church. <laughs> and our children replacing us. <laughs> and our children eating us metaphorically. Let's end by talking about something happy. What is making you happy this week? Okay, I feel like I say this every week, but it will surprise no one for me to say it is video game related. Uh, once again. Yeah, video games. So I started playing Metal Gear Rising Revengeance for the first <laughs> time, uh, like live on stream as well. And it has been an absolutely insane wild ride, and I'm so glad I'm playing it. <laughs> it is... Yeah. It is so good, and it is so ridiculous, um, and a lot of the things it's covering are, like, just as valid now, even more so in some cases, than they are th than they were, like, back in 2013 when this game originally came out. Wow. Um, Prescient? Yes, and it's fun and crazy. Like, you're playing as Raiden, who is this super crazy souped-up ninja. It's made by Platinum Games, so it's, like, an extremely heavy action game. There's, like a robot dog who is like a boss that you fight and then becomes your friend. Um, the main villain is a senator from like <laughs> Detroit or something. <laughs> um, the music is insane and super fun. And it's like trying to say all kinds of different, really interesting things about like pop culture and video games and just like kind of stuff at large and how we interpret and interact with stories and mm. especially things like video games that are interactive stories. So it, it, it's a Kojima game, but has, like, way more fun and intense flavor. Like, think of all the craziest things from Metal Gear, but they don't even have to try and make it, like, grounded in military realism. It's, they're mm -hmm. just having fun with it. It's, like, all of the fun parts of Metal Gear 24-7, 100 miles an hour. And I really uh, wish they had done a sequel, or maybe someday they'll be able to do a sequel to it, or, like, some sort of successor in the same vibe and, like, style someday. Uh, but for the meantime, I'm having so much fun getting through it. Um, actually, tomorrow I'll be doing the last stream of it as well. So that's kind of dating when we're recording this. But I'll finally get to fight the senator and see what that's like. And he's going to tell me about you his favorite memes. I have to tell, fight the senator as he talks to me about memes. Uh, it's going to be insane. Yeah, uh, I feel like a lot of senators today <laughs> are talking about memes. <laughs> they're not um, talking about memes They're focused enough. on their constituents. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what's been making you happy this week, Mikey? I will say I was uh, this week walking through my neighborhood, going to grab a bite nice. to eat, and I saw a family walking by, and they were walking with their kid. Okay. And this kid was wearing a t-shirt that I don't understand. Okay. But thought was very funny. It was Baby Yoda. All right. From the one of many Star Wars t-shirts, or Star Wars TV shows. And this t-shirt said, for whatever reason, <laughs> real big over Baby Yoda this is my good side. <laughs> and and I didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't know why. It's not like the baby Yoda was in profile, so it was like his right or his left side was yeah, his good it side. Never, it never is. So I I like Mandalorian a lot, and I've seen a lot of the merch because like I own some of it, and like in the throes of when I was first obsessed with it, I found a lady who would constantly buy stuff and be like, here's my Baby Yoda merch haul, because she was super obsessed with Baby Yoda, and still uh -huh. is to this day. Um, and so, so many pieces of the, like, merch she would get would say that, and I'm like, I don't get it either. <laughs> it, oh, it's like he's the, in the good side, like, the light side? What does that Like, what mean? does it mean? What, and what so what mean? I like about this shirt so much is that it's like, it's just a fact. This is my good side. The, the, this front side, just the front the is truth? my good side. And it's just like, all right, fair enough. Who am I to argue? <laughs> sure the fact child. of the world, that is his good side. <laughs> Truly insane. It. Roxy, each week the demon bot hires a new monster to guard the basement door to keep us from escaping, and yet each week we still escape. This week I brought along 
a distractionary tactic. Was it that t-shirt that that child had? Did you get one yourself to distract the, the monster? Yeah. Because they'll be like, wait, just, wait, what does it mean? Yeah, I get the monster to sit down on like the curb and just be like, what could that? This yeah, is you tell me set. what this means. And then I'll escape scampering in the background. And then you, no, I guess, you stand I there here. forever. Okay, what is it for real? I brought a bucket of chum. Um, you know, are chum. You fighting it's, it's jaws. Like, it's like, yeah, it's that bloody slop. Uh, so here's my yeah, thinking. Yeah, you use it to like have. Is it specifically sharks or just like any catch in general? Kind of I like think when you're it's, fishing. Well, unclear. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, you like pour this slop in the water. Either and it way, attracts. you use it with fishing of some kind. Yeah. So here's my thinking: is like if what's guarding. The scary basement this week is like a sea creature, like a creature from the Black Lagoon or some kind of walking shark. Then uh, uh-huh. and this chum, it's it's going to trick him. Okay. I mean, right. that, that's a pretty specific choice, but I'll uh, wait down here and see how you deal with oh, that. It's a gamble to be sure. Yeah. Let's see if it's paid I'll hold off. I'll the door open for you in case you want to run. Uh-oh. Roxy. What is it? Guarding the door this week is a serpentine beast with the head of a lion. Oh. And, and the body of a snake, like from mythology. This oh, okay. isn't going to help at all. I mean, it might still be into it. Why don't you ask? All right, let me just pour it out. It doesn't even notice. Oh, well, then maybe we can walk away. If it doesn't even notice you throwing that around, then it probably won't notice us walking away, right? Yeah, it's kind of uh, dead behind the eyes. Okay, well, I learned some things in my playing Metal Gear, so I have a box for you. So here you go, unfold it, and we'll just sneak past in the boxes just to be extra safe. Okay. Oh shit! Roxy, run! (laughs) 